Well, we've made it. We've got to the end of the book of Acts. And uh, I hope you, like I, have found it to be just a wonderful journey. Uh, I think sometimes you don't really appreciate the value of something until you don't have it, like yesterday without an umbrella. Uh, or going to the car, and it's not there because one of the teenagers has borrowed it. Um, so to help us kind of grasp the immense value of the book of Acts, imagine if it wasn't there. You kind of get to the end of John's Gospel and there's a small number of disciples in Jerusalem with no real plan. Flip over the page and you've got the letter to a bloke called Paul to a church in Rome of all places. And you'd be thinking like, praise God, but how on earth did the news about Jesus get from Jerusalem all the way over to Rome? The book of Acts tells us how. Remember back at Acts 1.8, that's where it began. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That would make a good song, wouldn't it? Look where the book of Acts finishes. Where we're at today. The Apostle Paul is there living, preaching the gospel. Look at the final two words. Boldly, without hindrance. It's two words in Greek. Boldly and without hindrance. Right there in Rome. The largest and most splendid of ancient cities. The grand capital and power centre of an empire which encompassed the known world. Now, of course, this rapid expansion didn't come without cost. We've seen that week after week. As we journeyed through Acts, we saw that the progress of the gospel was threatened by fear and inadequacy. In the disciples, God sent his Holy Spirit. The gospel progress was threatened by arrest and jail. God gave courage, perseverance, and at times miraculous escapes. The progress of the gospel was threatened by lies, false teaching, and betrayal inside the church. Well, God brought clarity, unity, and at times swift judgment. The gospel was threatened by false accusations and legal proceedings and God gave words to say. The progress of the gospel was threatened by discouragement and God gave spirit-inspired joy. It was threatened by poverty and hunger. God prompted generosity among his people. It was threatened by violent weather in chapter 27. I would have loved to have read that out. Such a good chapter. And God gave protection. In short, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. And it continues all over the world today, including right here among us, gathered here this morning. As we look at this final passage then, let's pause and humbly ask God to help us listen to him. Dear Father, please open our hearts and our minds as we open your word now. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, I think there's three big take-home points for us, three big applications for our lives. I'm going to do something unusual. I want to give them to you up front, right, right here at the start, and then we'll see how they flow from the passage. So here they are on the, the screen. We've got uh, number one, be deliberate. 
you might like the word strategic, be deliberate in how we relate to others for the sake of the gospel. Second one is forgive others for any grievances against you for the sake of the gospel. And the third one, stay focused on Jesus in all circumstances for the sake of the gospel. Well, let's dive in and see how this plays out. Paul longed to go to Rome. He says so in his first chapter to his letter to the Romans. And back in chapter 19 of Acts, uh, when he was uh, in Ephesus, just before the, the big riot, he declared, I must visit Rome. Ephesus was probably as close as he'd got at that stage of his life. I must visit Rome. Little did he know the troubles he would face before getting there. Uh, like Jer Jerusalem, Rome was a strategic city. He'd been back to Jerusalem already. It was the religious capital for the Jewish people. But Rome, Rome was the political capital of the whole empire. Paul deeply desired to speak the good news about Jesus in both cities. Jews first, then Gentiles, as he often said. But imagine how the world might change if Rome bowed the knee to the Lordship of Jesus. I use Google Maps just to give us an idea of the distance. There we go. Um, apparently you can fly. Paul didn't have that option. And if you mapped out his boat journey, it was like all over the place, blowing around. Uh, if you drive, it's a 44-hour drive. Like it's a long way. Even a flight's like over three and a half hours. And by old ancient ship, it was a, a long uh, journey. Um, if you want to get a bit more of an idea of the terrain, just have a chat to Bob Stevens when he gets back because he's, uh, well, just above Rome at the moment, right now. Uh, so you can have a chat to him when he gets, gets home. Uh, we all have different goals and plans and dreams. Paul wanted to get to Rome. Uh, we, we all have different ideas for the direction of our lives. What about our lives spiritually? What about our lives spiritually? Do we have a deliberate plan for how the gospel will shape our lives? How we will grow and, and serve and be a witness for God as his children in a hurting world? Paul certainly did. He had a plan. In his kindness, God fulfilled Paul's desire, not exactly in the way that Paul probably imagined, but the desire of his heart was backed by a direct promise from Jesus back in Acts chapter 23. Jesus said this to him, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. He knew he was going to get there. He didn't know exactly how. And chapters 24 to 27 show that his arrival was truly miraculous. Paul got to Rome, but he got there God's way. He endured a legal arrest, Jewish and Roman trials, imprisonment, and then, of course, that massive storm and shipwreck in chapter 27. I love the last verse of chapter 27. It says how they, uh, they got to the shore on planks of, uh, of wood. It's actually the first written record of surfing. Uh, chapter 28, we'll move on. Chapter 28, verse 14 says, And so we came to Rome. Luke, uh, the historian, travelling with Paul. They arrived there finally. Paul got there. But he got, got there God's way, not his way. And the reason was, as we've seen, is that God had planned many unexpected opportunities for Paul. 
to witness along the way. Does that ring true for you in your experience as well? Life doesn't always go the way we plan, but God is always at work. God is always working all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So often we look back and we can marvel at God's hand of grace at work in our lives. Can't always see it at the time. So let's be alert to the many unplanned and often unexpected opportunities to speak about the hope that we have in Jesus along life's way. I would never have imagined or chosen the last 18 months of our lives. But boy, oh boy, there's been some amazing opportunities to share the hope that we have. And if you look back at verses 15 and 16 that were read this morning, where a bunch of local believers travelled about 50 k's south of Rome to meet Paul as he's approaching Rome, just to encourage him, to welcome him. I think it's a reminder that we should be alert to the many unplanned and often unexpected opportunities to simply encourage other Christians along life's journey as well. Sticky paper. So point one is simply to be deliberate by having a gospel-shaped plans for our lives. There's a bit more to it, though. We need to be deliberate by initiating gospel opportunities with people. Verse 17. He's hardly had time to unpack, and he calls the Jewish leaders to a meeting. He doesn't wait for them to ask, or worse, to, to attack. He initiates. Paul is on the front foot. And they came. And if you skim down to verse 23, look at the result of the dialogue that they had. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. What a great reward for his initiative. 1 Peter 3, 15, 16, a favourite verse. You know, it says that we should always be prepared to explain the hope that we have in Christ if people ask. But like Paul, we can be on the front foot. We can deliberately plan the settings and experiences where people are more likely to ask. That's what Chris Gervin's doing right now. He's invited a few uh, un unbelieving mates on the ride. But as they're riding, they're chatting, and every evening they're having a little devotion, actually reading right through the book of Philippians, <laughs> a little bit each night. Uh, and so as we do that, we can create opportunities where it's more likely. Now, we might not be a, a church planned, a big extrovert like Paul, but here's an idea. Middle Eastern culture, really big on hospitality. Jesus, often eating with people. Paul was too. You can see down verse 30. He welcomed all who came to see him. It's a great setting for sharing your life and faith. So here's my question. Who can you catch up with over coffee? Or invite to your place for a meal? And when we do make those deliberate moments of connection, let's be conscious of our conversation so that we can connect the gospel with whoever we're with, sharing our, our story, 
engaging with their story. See how Paul does it? He uses their language in verse 20 when he, he uses that phrase, the hope of Israel. Now, that's an Old Testament reference to the Messiah. That's like a hook in the ear for a Jew. Uh, then in verse 23, he talked about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and the prophets. Now, that's their whole belief system. And he tried to persuade them about Jesus. He's connecting Jesus with their, well, for the Jews, very religious life story. That's not always the case for the people we interact with. A very clever, gospel-shaped conversation, full of grace, seasoned with salt, bringing out the flavour of life as God meant to be, a life lived in relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus. Point one, be deliberate. Point two is this. Forgive others for any grievances against you for the sake of their response to the gospel. As I examine the interaction Paul has with the Jews that he initiated in verses 17 to 23, what stands out is what's left out. About 20 years ago, I did a concert in a remote Aboriginal community and this message was sprayed on the side of a tin shed. I kind of doctored a photo to make it look like it. Next uh, slide. There we go. Jesus, the only thing missing is you. Graffitied on the back of a shed. Uh, some things are conspicuous by their absence. So before we look at what Paul does say, Think about all the things he leaves out. He doesn't say he was harassed by the Jews back in Jerusalem with beatings, opposition, arrest, jail, death threats, etc. I mean, he could have. He could have gone on for days on that subject. Anything to do with him suffering at the hands of the Jews takes a complete backseat. He only shares personal details if they're relevant and helpful for pointing his listeners to Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? He had so much he could have said at that point. But he resists the temptation to attack or condemn. There's no grudge. There's no revenge. There's no hard heart. There's no tales of woe. There's no pity me. It reflects exactly what Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer. We've just said it a moment ago. Father, forgive us. What does it say? As we forgive those who sin against us. Big words, aren't they? When God forgives us, he chooses never to hold our sin against us ever again because it's been paid in full by the blood of Christ on the cross. He calls us to do the same no matter what the offence. And Paul had some serious offences committed against him. So look at what Paul does say. Verse 17, he's warm and supportive. My brothers, he addresses them, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I, I was arrested. He doesn't even say who arrested him <laughs> or how legal it was. And then in verse 19, I di certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. Boy, oh boy, he could have. What a gracious recap of his own experiences. It's extraordinary. How often does conflict flare up in our lives because we have not forgiven? 
And we bring up past hurts and, and repay insults with insults. Paul followed in Jesus' footsteps and forgave others so that there would be no obstacle in them hearing and responding to the good news about Jesus, that they can be forgiven in Christ. As we do this, as we do this in our relationships, the result is likely to be a bit like verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. You see, when our life matches our words, God touches people's hearts in a very special way. Not everyone's heart, though. That's why he goes on to quote Isaiah in verses 26 to 27. It's a devastating assessment of the Jews. Deaf, blind, dull, hard-hearted. May that not be any of us here this morning. He goes on to say that their hardness became an open door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles, as Acts 1.8 put it, to the ends of the earth. Point one is be deliberate. Point two, forgive others for any grievances against you for the sake of their response to the gospel. doesn't guarantee a positive response, but it sure helps. And it models what God has done for us in Christ. Lastly, point three is this. Stay focused on Jesus in all circumstances for the progress of the gospel. In my introduction, I, I mentioned many things that threatened the progress of the gospel. And here in the last two verses of the book is another threat. And I think it's perhaps one that we face most often in our current context in Australia. It's the threat of safety, security and peace. After years of opposition and turmoil, Paul finally has some stability in life. Verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. See that bit about verse 16 and having a guard there? It wasn't so much to restrict his freedom, but to keep him alive. When they took him there, they uh, out of Jerusalem, they had 470 Military guards. Uh, just got one at the moment. A bit safer in Rome, perhaps. So here's Paul, the Roman citizen, in the Roman capital, with a Roman bodyguard in a holiday house, kind of. <laughs> Quite the life, really, isn't it? So what does he do with this freedom and safety? Catch up on some TV, read some travel mags, plan his retirement? No, verse 31. He welcomed all who came to see him. And what did he do? Proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He's the messenger of God using the word of God to point to the Son of God. That was Paul's goal in every situation. What's more, during that two years, he also wrote Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians and Philemon. He wanted everyone to know Jesus, to be encouraged in their faith in Jesus. Like he said to Agrippa, uh, I think it was last week's message, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. In other words, a follower of Jesus. And then he adds, oh, except for these chains. He was deliberate. He forgave horrible crimes. 
for the sake of the gospel. And he remained focused on Jesus through the very tough trials that we've seen over past weeks, as well as the easier times like his current situation in Rome. And I think the danger for us as we, we get to the end of Acts is to look at a bloke like Paul and merely be impressed. In one of his letters, he wrote these words, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Consider your own life. How can you be deliberate in your own relationships and in your own life choices, placing the progress of the gospel above the progress of your own ambitions and dreams and goals? In fact, the more you love Jesus, the more two, the, the two become the same thing anyway. How can we take the initiative and plan situations where gospel conversations are more likely to happen, especially with hospitality? How can we speak and behave in a way that warmly engages those we're with and invites a positive response to the gospel? as we model it in things like our forgiveness of others? Does our behaviour match the gospel we speak? Are there people we need to forgive? Perhaps there's people that we need to approach and seek forgiveness from. What might it look like in our lives to live and share the gospel boldly and without hindrance? Final words of the book. And I guess at that point Luke folded up the manuscript and put a stamp on it and sent it off, or however they did mail back in those days. And off it went to Theophilus, his patron. And that's that. The book of Acts, all 28 chapters done and dusted. God's work in and through his apostles. Well, it finished long ago. And we've got so much of the record of it there. But God's work in and through his people continues today, doesn't it? A number of people have picked up on the idea of Acts chapter 29. You can have a look for it. You won't see it there. Just picking up the idea that, of course, God's work is ongoing today. In fact, there's a church planting movement called Acts 29. You can Google it. Uh, and we're part of that. We're part of that ongoing work of God. Friends, through the centuries, God has used suffering and persecution many times to stir his people to action. We've seen it right through the book of Acts to spread the living words of the gospel. But let's not wait till our nation comes to that. Like Paul, let's make the most of times of peace and comfort and security. While it lasts, as we journey through life, let's be deliberate by having spiritual plans for our lives, by initiating gospel opportunities with other people. Let's forgive other people deeply from the heart for the sake of their response to the gospel message. And let's stay focused on Jesus in all circumstances for the praise and glory of our Lord Jesus and for the growth of the kingdom of God. Amen.